up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of Ohioverse. I got Greg here with me, as always. What's up, Greg? How you doing? What's going on? We're going to talk about some more Ohio sports. Today, we're going to be a little bit more, I guess, football-specific, uh, mainly because a lot of stuff has just happened within the football realm. We're going to go over the last two weeks for Ohio State football and Cincinnati football. We're going to talk about the Bengals and Browns, and then we're going to talk a little bit of Ohio State basketball and maybe their recruiting trail. So let's go ahead and start with Ohio State football. They've had... I guess I would say Notre Dame was probably a little bit more of a challenging uh, team. They played week one and then they played Arkansas state week two. So that was, I guess, kind of more of a tune up game, but uh, in your opinion, Greg, you know, how did the, you know, first two games go for Ohio state? Uh, The Buckeyes couldn't have started off their season any better after merging from the tough opponent like Notre Dame. And, you know, that was a convincing victory uh, despite, facing that like early deficit their squad held it together and even shut out the fighting Irish in the second half so I was I was really impressed with that I was really happy about that yeah I mean I I think that first half we were all a little bit watching this and maybe thinking this was going to be a little bit more of a close game maybe Notre Dame might be able to squeak it out but in that second half they really shut down the Notre Dame offense I know like Tyler Buckner came out for Notre Dame and he was I wouldn't say he was on fire, but he was a little bit more productive than I thought he would be for a first-time starter in uh, college football. But, you know, they came out and they really shut him down. They really shut down the rushing uh, game. Like, Notre Dame rushed for a total of 30 times, only for 76 yards, which is about two and a half yards per carry. And they did get a touchdown there. Um, Their only touchdown in the first half, I believe. So, definitely, they held them rushing-wise. You know, Tyler Buckner was ended up only being 10 for 18, 177 yards. The thing I would like to see a little bit more is they did have three sacks on the day um, in week one and then two in week two. I would love to see a couple more. I know I'm being a little greedy, but I think that they have the capability and they should be able to get to the quarterback a little bit more, especially in these kinds of games. And they need to get a couple more sacks, definitely more interceptions. They have zero interceptions, so that secondary is kind of worrying me a little bit. If you're not able to get interceptions on some of these lesser, I don't want to say lesser quarterbacks, but some of these newer quarterbacks or quarterbacks that aren't, you know, Alabama, Georgia, <laughs> those kinds of things, then yeah. you're not really going to be able to intercept the the big time quarterbacks. So you need to kind of figure that out going forward. For me, um, CJ has been, he's been consistent. I think that's the best word to say. I don't think he's been like blowing me out of the water, but he's been consistent. I think obviously Arkansas State, we kind of saw him, you know, throwing for 350 yards and four touchdowns. That's to be expected. But in that Notre Dame game, he was just consistent. He made sure everybody got um, where they needed to be, and he found Abuka a lot. So Abuka seems to be a guy that's stepping up now with uh, Jackson Smith and Jigba out. And, um, oh, can't remember his name. Harrison? No, there's another wide receiver that's out. Julian Fleming, sorry. Fleming's out, yeah, yeah. yeah. Now, that they, with, with both of those guys out, like, Abuka's stepped up. Obviously, Marvin Harrison Jr., we knew that he was going to be, like, the third guy, so he's been super productive, especially in that second game. But, mm. you know, and then the run game has been, I think, Maya Williams and Henderson both rushed for about six yards a carry, and then um, Henderson rushed for 8.7 yards a carry in the second game. So that run game is is pretty solid. Yeah, I mean, especially in the second game, I was definitely surprised with that Stroud-Harrison duo. I mean, they didn't miss a beat. I think they connected seven times for like 184 yards and three touchdowns. So uh, they, you know, I think they just held Arkansas to, what, four field goals for the day. So defense stuff. My only concern is, is you know, we, we talked about Notre Dame in the first part of this about – 
obviously, were they just so beat down that their next game that they lose to, what is it, Marshall? Yeah, Marshall. Well, I think part of it, too, is like... So, so do we play up to Notre Dame's potential? Or, like, either that's where I'm mm-hmm. a little concerned down the road is, like, you know, we barely, not to say barely beat Notre Dame, but we, there was a tough game. And I'm like, okay, it's two tough powerhouse teams. But then Notre Dame goes off and loses to Marshall. And it's like, well, wow, is that really then – that kind of puts a damper on our, you know, top five win over, you know, top mm-hmm. five competitor. Puts a little bit of a damper on that. You know, obviously Alabama didn't do good too good this year, uh, this this week, but it just – it makes me concerned a little bit as to what that – are we a little overhyped or not necessarily overhyped, but over extending our – aspect of what we how good we think they are this this is the way i kind of looked at it and i think that marcus freeman the coach of notre dame huge defensive mind right he knew that ohio state wanted to throw the ball over the top that's their offense that's ryan ryan day loves to throw the ball you know intermediate to deep that's what he wants to do and then he wants to you know use the run game to bring defenses in but he primarily wants to throw the ball So what he did is he was just like, I know that we're not as talented. I know that we're not going to get to the quarterback as much, but I'm going to put those two high safeties all game. That's what's going to happen. And that's going to eliminate that. So the way I kind of looked at this game was like, yes, I think that we kind of in that first half, we definitely played down to where Notre Dame was talent wise. But once, you know, CJ kind of figured it out and was like, okay, I have to, I have to start hitting these over the middles in these short passes just start grinding it away. And they were able to do that. And they were able to grind it away in the run game. I think that that showed that they can be, you know, a multi offense. They don't have to do the deep throws. They don't have to hit the big plays. They can, they can grind you out as well too. And I think that that's kind of what it showed. Yes. I would have loved to see them score more points on them, but I think that that showed us that they are able to do that when we, they didn't show us that last year, if it wasn't going to be the big play, they weren't going to be able to move the ball down the field. So this year they were able to grind out those like, you know, four or five yard passes, four or five yard runs. Like it didn't have to be the big play. It didn't have to be the big hitter. And, you know, I think Notre Dame is going to be a team this year where they're young. They have a new head coach and they're kind of still building for the future. And we're probably going to see them lose more of these type of games than not just because of the position that they're in. And it kind of reminds me of like us playing Minnesota last year when we were like, wow, we looked really really not great but when you play when you play a qual like Notre Dame's still a quality team like when you play a quality team week one you haven't played full game speed yet and Notre Dame is coming in there motivated to beat you and they have a good game plan it should be a hard game now going forward they need to be able to adjust and as they grow and as the season gets up better than these types of games they shouldn't be in they should just be you know winning handedly unless it's against Alabama Georgia you know a Clemson those kinds of things but I guess the next question I have for, you know, Ohio State through these first two weeks is how impressed have you been with CJ that he doesn't have? You know, we talked about him not having, you know, Jackson Smith and Jigba and not having Julian Fleming. Like, have you how impressed have you been with him, you know, being able to connect with the other guys? I mean, it's been fantastic. And, it, you know, especially with Egbuka and Harrison Jr. both being sophomores, um, you know, I, I just look forward to that that core going down the road for the next couple of years. So you know, and uh, the 
they've they've obviously been the top two targets for Stroud so far. But I mean, walk on uh, Xavier Johnson stepped up into this huge role that nobody expected him to, to be. So uh, you know, I think Igbuka was uh, the Buckeyes' top receiver in the opener against the Irish. He had nine passes for ninety yards and a touchdown. Um, you know, followed that up with the win. Uh, against the Red Wolves last week, calling in, I think, four passes for 118 yards and a score. Um, you know, and Harrison ended up being a you know, Big Ten player of the week with seven catches and 184 yards and three touchdowns. So uh, Johnson's uh, two important, you know, catches for Ohio State uh, and no, against Notre Dame uh, ended up being kind of the game winner. So I, I, I'm excited. I think it's uh, you can just see the depth, and then when those other two come back, it, it's just a scary outlook for a lot of teams. Yeah, I think even college and professional, you see a lot of a lot of coaches, you know, offensive coordinators and their quarterbacks. They're trying to draw up that big hitter, but seeing him, like I said before, being able to just pick apart the defense with the little stuff, I think that's super important um, from that Notre Dame game, and then seeing him be able to come back build that chemistry and hit those. I mean, Abuka had 29.5 yards per reception and Harrison had 26.3 yards reception in that Arkansas state game. So that's, I know it's Arkansas state, but still that's, that's huge to be able to connect that way on those big plays and get those, get those underway um, and be able to do both of them going forward so that they can, you know, they know schematically that stuff kind of works, but I know we talked about it a little bit. I know that I'm still a little hesitant on the defense. Obviously, they should have been good against Arkansas State. And then obviously with Notre Dame, they they ended up shutting them down. With Arkansas State, they held them to 33 rushes for 54 yards, which is only 106 yards per carry. So obviously our rush defense is immensely improved from last year. I think last year everybody could run on us. It didn't matter who you were. You could be the intramural football team from a division three college and they would still get hundred yards rushing on that defense last year. So obviously that's much improved, but in your opinion, do you think this defense is miles ahead of what it was last year? Or do you think there's lots still to improve on? Um, I don't want to say miles ahead of what they, you know, what they were last year. Uh, it's definitely some improvements. Um, obviously with the only holding, you know, 10 points for the Notre Dame and 12 points against the Red Wolves. And that was, you know, all, uh, field goals. I'd say if you're going to grade the defense, uh, you know, I kind of break it down into kind of three categories. The defense, uh, defensive line, I give them an A. Uh, linebackers, A minus. It's the defensive backs that I'm kind of giving a, a C to a C minus on. Uh, that was the biggest issue for the Buckeyes last year is their poor secondary. And, you know, it's, it's plagued them for a lot of years. So I think was it Denzel Burke was really bad for the second game in a row. Um, he was torched twice, uh, you know, by Notre Dame and then played bad against, uh, you know, Arkansas State. So um, I think he got like two pass interference calls. So he was supposed to be the best player in the secondary. And so far he's been the worst. So I think their defensive backs are the ones that really need to step up. And and if they can manage that and, and improve that, then then I think we're all on board for the a great season. Yeah, we used to beat DBU, but. I don't. I haven't seen that the past three, four years. I, I don't. It's so. It's so interesting, and that's, and that's probably where I'm at too. I think, like I said before, the the front seven has to get to the quarterback more. We have to be around four or five sacks a game to really be effective, and we need the secondary needs to be better. I think that that's that's the one thing. Like they've, 
they're they're able to contain, but then sometimes they let up, you know, three or four times in these first two games, they've let like weird big plays happen. And I know that one in the Notre Dame game where that guy caught the ball as he was like falling on the ground. That's a freak thing. That is what it is. But like outside of that, I mean, there's been weird big plays that they've just let happen. And those have to be eliminated because once you start, you know, getting towards the end of the season, once you play like Michigan, once you get to the Big Ten championship, once you get into the playoffs, like teams are going to, they're going to want to make those big time plays and they're going to have them schemed up. They're going to have offensive coordinators that are just as smart as Ryan Day is. And they have to be able to stop that. So I don't know. We'll see. Hopefully they kind of get more, I guess, more polished throughout the season. That's the word I'm looking for, but I don't know. I think that they need to do a little bit better when it comes to recruiting on the back end there on the defense going forward and throughout the years. But let's go ahead and move on to a little bit of college basketball, not necessarily talking about basketball in general, but at the Notre Dame game, LeBron and his son, Bronny, actually were attending the game. There was a bunch of stars that were out there, even people that weren't Ohio State Buckeyes in the past. But there was just a bunch of like, you know, NFL talents, famous people, yada, yada, that were on the sidelines for that game. And I think Ohio State actually football had like all the recruits of that game, too. So that's hopefully maybe a little bit beneficial meeting some of those guys. But one of the people attending was Bronny. Um, he does have an offer from Ohio State. And after the game or before the game, they probably had, it looked like they might've had an unofficial or an official visit with Ohio state because there was a bunch of pictures that came out a couple of days after where Bronny posted them and LeBron posted of him, of Bronny wearing like Ohio state uh, gear with basketballs and him and his family wearing Ohio state gear and just having fun with it. And, you know, I kind of just wanted to get your opinion on it, Greg of like, you know, do you actually think as a program, Ohio state is a strong contender contender to get Bronny as a commit or do you think this was just really like a cool moment um that some OSU fans took advantage of just taking pictures in the gear and the swag and stuff like that I mean if you look at those pictures those weren't just uh you know oh let's throw on some uniforms these those were I don't know if I say for lack of a better term staged photos you know what I mean there was a backdrop there was lighting there there was it was it was professionally done there was made to say hey Put on these uniforms we're going to have some pictures so i don't want to say it was a cool moment because it wasn't a moment it was it was premeditated it was thought out it was you know determined that this is what we're going to do uh you know we've got to get these pictures done in a professional setting so you know i i, I don't know i i i hope that he comes to ohio state uh, i think that he's got probably you know, thousands of offers from colleges all around the United States. Um, so I don't know. We'll see. Yeah, I mean, I I kind of agree with you there. Like, it was definitely something that was planned. That's why I think that might have been his, like, official visit with the university. Like, hey, come out, watch the Notre Dame game, hang out, like, have fun. Um, and then afterwards, you know, go, go talk to Coach Holtman, take some pictures, all that kind of stuff. I think that that's something that – definitely probably happened. I know that their family are huge Ohio state fans. And, you know, if Bronny had, he has to do one year of college instead of going, or he could do the developmental G league, but I think he's leaning more towards going to college for a year for whatever reason. And, um, and hopefully Ohio state is something that he, that he kind of picks out. I think this season will be pretty big for Ohio state. Cause this is not only like we want to win at Ohio state basketball, but this is <laughs> kind of like a, I guess a, a Oh, would you call it like a a showcase for for what for what teammates Bronny could play with and what he could do, you know, the following year that he comes in. So it'll definitely be kind of interesting if 
if he does choose to go to Ohio State, does this make this Ohio State program, you know, not this season, but next season when he chooses to come, does, does that make them an instant contender for a national championship? Or does this just make them, you know, a little bit better? I think this makes them just a little bit better. I'm not going to talk, you know, national championship. You know, obviously they they lost the number two player in Ohio, George Washington, uh, the third. He decommitted from the Buckeyes earlier this week. Um, so that that takes that stock down a little bit when it comes to the, you know the potential for the Ohio State Buckeyes. And, and Bronny's not he's not this the number one recruit in the country. I think he's you know the number ten combo guard. He's the number one. 41st overall player in the country, according to some, you know, rankings. I think two or uh, two four seven sports ranked that like that. Um, and so he sits number nine in the recruiting class for uh, 2022. So, um, or I'm, I'm sorry, Ohio State ranks number nine in recruiting class for 2022. So I don't know if that stock adding Bronny would move the Buckeyes up at all. Um, but I think it. And I think playing at Ohio State versus, or any college for that matter, versus playing in the G League, I think there's a little bit more of a, an exposure element to that um, that puts his stock and his chip up a little bit more. And that makes it then when the NBA draft comes around, I think that that allows his visibility and his ability to show that um, he can be coached, he can be this, he can be that. And that necessarily doesn't show off in the G League as much as uh, you can show that versatility in the college level. So I kind of like that aspect of it. And I think looking at it, that if he's going to pick college over the G League, which it seems like he's leaning towards, I would assume that some of that is the motivation behind those choices. Yeah, I think I think that number two the number two guy in, in Ohio, I think he decommitted. A lot of people are saying because he does play that guard position. And a lot of people are saying because maybe Bronny has, you know, unofficially committed and he didn't really want to have to compete. And they were asking him to play more of the two while Bronny would play the one. And that, that he wanted to play, he wanted to play point guard. So I think that's partially, that could partially be the reason. Maybe he just didn't see Ohio state as a viable option anymore. That is, I guess totally a uh, possibility, but I think one thing that that hasn't been said is NIL. And if Bronny comes to Ohio, he would be the biggest name in college athletics in Ohio. So there wouldn't be anybody who would demand more eyeballs and anybody that wouldn't demand more money than him. You know what I mean? Like CJ Stroud's going to be gone. So, you know, Jackson Smith, ah, Jackson Smith, I can't say that name. <laughs> Jackson's probably going to go to the NFL. Um, you know what I mean? So like, there's not really going to be a huge big name star at Ohio state that, you know, who we haven't seen play already. So they're going to be starting off fresh. So he's going to be like, he's going to be the one right in there, getting all those deals, getting all that money. If he stays in California and goes to USC, you know, he's going to be outshadowed by not only all the professional people that are there, but all the college, you know, athletes that stay there anyway. So that's one thing that I think would be huge for Ohio. Not that he needs the money, not that he necessarily needs the big NIL deals, but if that's something maybe that is going to sway him either way, that would be something that he would be, you know, the most most watched college athlete in Ohio. And like you talk about getting eyeballs on him, that would be something that would be huge, you know, for his career going forward as well too. So, but we'll see. I mean, it's definitely interesting. He's got to make a decision 
sooner rather than later. So maybe towards the end of this year, beginning of next year, we'll kind of get a decision on that. And we can talk about whether, you know, what a huge gain it was for Ohio State or what a huge loss it was, depending on, you know, what his decision is at that point. So, but let's go ahead and stay in college and let's finish off with the Cincinnati Bearcats football team there. If, you know, we kind of went over the first two games for Ohio State, I wanted to do the same for them. They played um, Arkansas in their first game and then Keyshaw State in their second game. Obviously, the second game they won, uh, they lost to Arkansas uh, 24 to 31. So, Greg, how did you feel about their first two games as a whole? Um, obviously, the first game was a little bit of a letdown for us. I mean, as far as we wanted them to do better and be better. So that was definitely a tough loss. Um, but, you know, they're the coming into the homeometer, this, what is it, 63 and 10 uh, win over the Owls of Kenshaw State. Uh, so, I, you know, I thought that was really good. I think they extend their winning streak uh, to 28 games uh, at that uh, stadium, which is the second longest in the nation. I thought that to be a very interesting fact. I did not know that. So that was really cool. Richard Sr., Ben Bryan, is off to a fast start in his first two games of the season. He's uh, throwing an interception in the first drive against Arkansas, uh, but then he's tossed five touchdowns uh, against zero interceptions uh, through three touchdowns in the first half versus Kansas State. So he finished, I think, 16-19. and 19. So that's off to a, uh, you know, a great start. You've got – Yeah, I mean, I, I definitely agree that Bryant's looked a lot better since that first interception. You know, obviously – he should look a lot better against, you know, Keyshaw State, but I actually think he threw for less yards, but he was more efficient, and he had three touchdowns in that game. So you, you saw the efficiency there, and they really focused more on the run game against Keyshaw State. They had uh, 26 rushes for 259 yards rushing, so that was right around like 10 yards per carry, and then they had four touchdown, rushing touchdowns. So that's definitely something that, you know, um, they kind of focused on in that game. The other thing I will say is just, defense they got to be a little bit better on defense obviously they only had two sacks in the first game and then they had they only had one sack against Keyshaw State which I'm not saying that sacks are end-all be-all but like you got to be able to get to the quarterback and obviously they they affected the quarterbacks that played but the quarterbacks only threw 15 passes so I think multiple quarterbacks played for Keyshaw State that day. They only threw 15 passes. They were 7 for 15 for 111 yards in an interception. You know what I mean? So, like, they didn't even throw that many passes. They just ran the ball the whole time. And now credit to their rush their rush defense. They held them to 142 yards on 61 rushes, you know, 2.3 yards per carry, which is not good. But I just – I think that they need to – get more pressure on the quarterback, you know, just like Ohio state, more pressure. I need more pressure on the quarterback More sacks, more pressure. You know, it needs to, it needs to, you need to make opposing quarterbacks feel uncomfortable in order to help your secondary out, especially if your secondary is not going to be that good and, or as good as it should be. So, cause when you look at Arkansas, like their quarterback, Jefferson, he threw all over their secondary. So if you're going to play, you know, a top, a top 10 team or even a top 25 team, you have to be able to put better pressure so that you help out your secondary if it's going to be weaker. And that's just something that they're going to have to grow and, and get better at. But I mean, this is a team that went on a historic historical run last year for their program and made it to the playoffs. And 
I don't know if we'll really see that for another couple years, but I do think that they have a good quarterback in place that's going to help them, you know, over the next two or three seasons. And and I'm excited to see see where they go, especially once they get into the Big 12. I believe they're going into next year. So I don't I don't necessarily want to, to to crap on on their defense. You know, you had linebacker Ivan Pace Jr. I believe tallied 11 tackles and he had a forced fumble, and then Deshaun Pace um, special teams who uh, I don't know if they're related or not. That's interesting. Uh, but he recorded his uh, I think, second I think they career are, block they are kick. Brothers. So, I mean, the Pace brothers then um, are, are stepping up in that category. And, you know, they, they earned some Player of the Week honors from the, the University, University of Cincinnati staff. So um, there's some shining lights in their defensive scheme. And, and I mean, hopefully the, everybody else steps up and we can at least focus on them while we're talking about it. Oh yeah, for sure. I mean, there's there on the Ohio State defense too. There there's guys that came out and played well. You know, you have you have like Eichenberg at Ohio State who had two sacks in Week One. You know what I mean? So there's there there are shining stars on both these defenses. I don't want to sound like there's nobody good, but as as a whole, they have to perform better if they want to compete at a higher level with with some of these teams within the top twenty five. So that's just that's just kind of how I view it and. And I, I don't know. So, but I'm sure we'll talk more about it and we'll keep track of it more. But going, you know, talking about defense and talking about being stifling on defense, let's go ahead and move on to the NFL and talk about the Bengals week one game against the Steelers. If you guys didn't watch that game, that was a um, heart attack on a button. I think I have an ulcer from it as a Steelers fan. So, but their defense sacked Joe Burrow seven times, intercepted the ball four times, caused two fumbles, and had one fumble recovery. So, I guess, Greg, as a Bengals fan, people were hoping that this new offensive line would protect Burrow more, would give him more time, and that this team would just come out and be clicking after their, you know, Super Bowl appearance. But should Bengals fans be concerned after week one or was that Steelers defense just that good? So this is kind of a, a, a three part, four part uh, answer that I'm going to try to give you, but um, the Steelers defense is probably the best defense that they are going to face this year. So let's start off with that. It's, it's, it's a, top, top defense. And you know, if you look at the rest of the, the Bengals schedule, nobody's going to really stack up to what the the Steelers have right now. Um, were they bad? Yes, but there's not a lot of, to fret about. I think looking mm-hmm. forward, um, you know, you talked about the attack against Joe Burrow. You know, the offensive line was bad, but it wasn't the entire reason for the seven sacks for Joe Burrow. I, if I look at the that three of them or four four of them were because um, of the O-line and the other ones were because he held on to the ball too long. And, that, you know, you can't hold the ball forever if you're going to get sacked, you know, eventually with that. So um, you got to link it, look at last year too. You got to think that the Bengals had some tough losses last year. You know, obviously the this opener hurt, but, you know, they – they lost some really crappy games last year to the Bears and the Jets. They lost twice to the the Browns, and then they still ended up, you know, winning and you know going all the way to the Super Bowl. So you can't count this one loss as something, you know. And when it comes down to it, Joe Burrow is still, you know, Joe Shifty, 
when it comes down to it, he when it counts, he is just phenomenal. Um, he wins games, and I think that he, I've talked about this a million times that he is the second coming of Tom Brady, and I, I you know, I think that he could have easily won that game a few times, you know, and it just didn't quite click that, um, you know, that. Uh, drop in the end zone by Michael Thomas, um, you know, that, that could have won that game, could have thrown that up. Uh, when that ball was thrown to chase and it was ruled out at the one, you know, that was another, like, you know, possibility. So I think there's nothing to worry about. And I think if they just continue to play the way they play and, and you know, don't focus on the losses that I think that they could get right back to where they possibly were last year. So least of winning the AFC North and then you know we'll see what happens in the, the um the postseason. Yeah, I mean I definitely think that that Steelers secondary played above where we expected it to play. I definitely think the front seven it is what it is. You know, you have TJ Watt, Cam Hayward, uh High Smith, those guys are gonna get to the quarterback all season. I know Watt's out for about like four or five weeks now, but that defense still has guys that can get to the quarterback and stop the run. So and they really didn't – the Steelers' defense really didn't stop Joe Mixon from running. They just stopped him from getting into the end zone. So I think that that's – uh you know, obviously they can still run the ball. But, you know, Joey B has to eliminate some of those, I guess, holding on to the ball too long um, and putting himself in that situation. But at the same time, I'm still a little concerned with that offensive line. I know Dom yesterday said something about, like, um, it's week one, you know, they haven't played together. They haven't built the chemistry, but I mean, you've practiced all you put all that time in practice. You put all that time in preseason, like the chemistry should be there at this point. You got beat cause you got beat. And that, that to me is still a little concerning. And, you know, I would be concerned for his health going forward. Cause we've seen what happens when that offensive line is, is a turnstile instead of a wall. So we'll see going forward. Obviously, hopefully they build, I mean, maybe Dom's right. Maybe they build better chemistry. Maybe they figure it out. I don't know. But I do think that the defense, like you said, is probably the best that they're going to run into all season. Uh, Mike Tomlin is is known for having, you know, the best defense, top five defense in the league year in and year out for the most part. So I don't think that, I don't think that, you know, that, that was probably partially the reason. So, but we'll see. Hopefully they uh, string together some more wins. I forget who they're playing this week, but it's going to bug me <laughs> comment down below. If you, if you know, but uh, yeah, we'll go ahead and move on to the Browns and my prediction for them getting beat by a Baker Mayfield didn't happen. It almost did, but it didn't happen. And Jacoby Brissett actually looked better than Baker Mayfield throughout the game. So I guess my question for you is Greg, you know, could Jacoby Brissett actually be a stable option for the Browns and keep them competitive, you know, for the first three fourths of the season until they get, Deshaun Watson back I mean yes yes I hate to say that but yes I mean I know we we last last episode we talked really yeah. bad about them and hoping you know uh, a plague on all of them but you know when it comes down to it, it Jacoby, uh, Jacoby Brissett is is a good leader um, you know he started 15 games um, in I think 2019 uh, for the Colts, and they went seven and eight. Uh, did that span? I think eight, 18 touchdowns, six interceptions. Had a QBR of 88.0. Um, I think that if the Browns' offense, if they rely more on their rushing game, 
and put Brissett in a kind of a a position to manage the game. Um, he's not going to necessarily turn over the ball as many times, and you know, on the defensive side, um, they've got a majority of their starters coming back, so I think that their defense can at least try to keep them into some games. So, like I said, he's a leader. He'll do well. Um, I, maybe keep them in the hunt, but I, I'm not, you know, I'm not counting on it. Yeah. I mean, he's just basically, they just got to, you know, put him in a situation like the Vikings put, you know, Kirk Cousins or the 49ers put Jimmy G in the past. Like, go out there and make some throws. Don't, don't hurt us. Don't throw interceptions, but you know, be smart with the ball. Cause we're going to run the ball the majority of the time. So I think that that's a, that's a game plan that they can do. And they have two, two guys who are, you know, one guy who's a top five running back and the other guy who's a top 15 running back in the league. So they can go out there and run the ball all day. And, and I think that that's going to be their game plan going forward and, and their defense is good enough to hold opposing offenses. So we'll have to see, you know, what they are by week 12 or week 13, when uh you know when Deshaun Watson comes back and then I, I guess if if they're able to stay above 500 which is it kind of looks like it might be a possibility they could be competitive for a, a wild card spot or maybe even winning the division it just depends on where everybody else is at so because if the Steelers and the Ravens and the Bengals beat up on each other then like they normally do <laughs> then I think that they could have a they could have a chance of winning the division so I know it's a little bit different of a of a viewpoint than what we had like two weeks ago, but I don't know. It just feels different. So um, did you have anything else you want to talk about within the Ohio landscape there, Greg? No, I think I'm pretty good. Uh, you know, I think there's a lot of other stuff going on. We're going to talk about the, the guardians probably next episode and see where they, you know, finished out with as far as did they make it to the playoffs or not? And uh, we know who they're going to face and stuff like that there. It's come close and, uh, we can talk a little bit about the Reds. Uh, we brought that up a little bit in our on deck episode um, through the kind of the trade deadline. We had talked about how, you know, they had traded off a lot of their their top uh, people, but their um, prospects, or I think, landed them in like the top ten prospects um, for Major League Baseball when it comes to their farm system. So that's something to look forward to for Reds fans. But we can talk all that a little bit more next episode. Yeah, yeah, and we'll, we'll add some crew talk in there too because by that point, the playoffs should start and we'll kind of see if they, if they make it. If they're not, they're kind of on, on the fringe right now, so they got to put together some wins. But, yeah, we'll go ahead and go into our double-take segment. Um, if you guys don't know what that is, we just go around and say anything we'd like to say. So I'll let uh, Greg go first, and then uh, we'll go back and forth and then end it. Um, I kind of just goes back to, and I think I'm just winging this right now, but I, I really think that this brawny thing um, – is, is just going to be good for Ohio State. And I really, if there's a calculation and or just a, a you know, something I'm, I'm fruitioning is that, that he does commit to Ohio State. And I think that um, it really comes down to, and his dad grew up, you know, obviously Bron grew up in Akron and played in all those schools in Akron and, and had that upbringing of in, in Ohio basketball. And I think it would be a cool memory and slash just something that they could share that they both played some level of basketball in Ohio and had those memories built in Ohio. That's something that, you know, as a father and son can do. And obviously the goal is for them to both play in the NBA together. 
but just to have that also connection, I think that that would be something really, really interesting. And you know, the more we talked about it, the more I was like, you know, that that could be a catalyst for him actually choosing Ohio State to kind of have that same memory scheme or memory availability, if that makes any sense to anyone uh, that his dad did. So I, I'm really, I'm looking forward to that. And I, I really hope that that happens for not only Ohio, but Ohio State, but, but the, you know, the James family, because I think that would be really cool. It'd be super fun to watch and just a crazy fun time, like seeing LeBron and <laughs> on the sidelines at Ohio, like <laughs> that would just be, I don't know, that'd be really cool. And, and I do think that, you know, I do think that they genuinely love Ohio state. Like they're genuine fans of it. So, you know, maybe that, maybe that sways a little bit for his decision, you know, to be a little bit more sentimental behind it. But um, I just hope that, I hope that, you know, he picks the best path for his, for his basketball career. You know, if that's not here, that's not here. But I do think that he needs to forge his own path and, you know, build his own legacy and I hope that he makes the best decision, you know, for him. And if that's here, that would be amazing. I think that'd be amazing for the state. And I think we'd have a lot of fun talking about it week in and week out. So for my first thing, I know <laughs> all these like YouTuber celebrity boxing matches are sometimes can be kind of funny, uh, just depending on who fights each other. So recently Le'Veon Bell and Adrian Peterson fought each other. And I don't know if you saw the video, Greg, but Le'Veon no, Bell... Le'Veon Bell <laughs> knocked Adrian Peterson out, like put him to sleep cold, like eyes rolled back and through the back of his head. Like it was, I was like, what the heck? And I was like, why did this even, like, why was this even a thing? You know, you always ask why is this a thing? Why is this happening? But then you see the video and you're just like, oh shit, <laughs> dude, he put him to sleep. So did, did they have beef before this? Or, you know, I know some of them in, they end up boxing each other because they have beef and it's a good way to like raise money for charity or whatever. But yeah, I don't, I have no idea. I didn't even know it was a thing until I saw the video on social media where they were like, Oh, bell drop Peterson. And I'm just like, what, why did they, why, why? <laughs> like, and he did, he did, it wasn't even like a good punch. He just kind of like, like right, right into his face. Like he didn't even block it. And he was just kind of like, went to sleep. And I was like, Oh my gosh. So that was pretty, that was it. That was funny. That was, that was interesting. I was like, dang, he put him to sleep. So that's my first thing. <laughs> All right. Other than that, guys, let us know if there's anything that you want us to talk about on these, uh, on these episodes. Obviously we're kind of keeping, keeping right with uh, college football and the professional sports around Ohio. But if there's like some high school athletics that, that you want us to look into and talk about, let us know. Uh, we definitely will. Or if there's a, you know, another college that we're not talking about that you want us to, you know, cover in an episode, let us know uh, that as well. But other than that, I'm Nick. I was joined by Greg today. This was Ohioverse presented by Deep Dive Sports, and we'll catch you on the next one. Hey, everyone. Thank you for listening to another episode of Ohioverse. If you'd like to stay up to date on the show and sporting news in Ohio, go ahead and follow Ohioverse Podcast DDS on Instagram. Also, don't forget to follow deep.dive.sports on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, and listen to any of our shows wherever you get your podcasts. And again, thank you. And catch you on the next one. Thank you.